first reading is in Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 to 8, which you'll find on page 67 in the Old Testament section of the Church Bibles. <clears throat> Exodus 19, 1 to 8. At the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, <clears throat> if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of God. Thank you to God. Please stand for the Gospel. <clears throat> alleluia, Alleluia. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, one God who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. Alleluia. The Gospel reading is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, on page 4 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, 
for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I was going to make um, a crack about Trinity Sunday with three clergy at the front. Um, And I thought Stephen would go for that one, but um, there we go. A word of prayer as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. May my words and all the thoughts and reflections and conclusions that we come to today be truth. We ask that you would accept our service to you of studying, reading, reflecting, hearing, and receiving your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you're sitting comfortably because the Sermon on the Mount, which is the theme in your order of service, is three chapters long, and uh, it's only half past nine, and I've agreed with Stephen that um, each of the eight Beatitudes should have 90 minutes, and then we'll move on to the next thing. So, settle down. But seriously, uh, over the next few weeks, chapters 5, 6, and 7 will be our diet in God's Word. So um, our young curate encourages us to read those chapters each week in preparation for worship on a Sunday. And I, I hope you do prepare for the Lord's Day in some way, and that would be a great way to do so as we make our way through this extraordinary section of Scripture But today, we really are only doing 12 verses, but there are eight Beatitudes, so we'll see how we go. As we're beginning a series, we need to set the scene, don't we? And sometimes with Scripture, we think we already know, but it's often helpful to sew things together a bit when we're coming to a passage of Scripture. Last Sunday was Pentecost, and the sermon preached from this pulpit was declaring the outpouring of God's Spirit. Uh, A a word which means a deluge, the deluge of the Lord's Spirit. Here, we're back away in the narrative of the New Testament. Jesus' messianic reign has begun. The temptations in the desert are over. The preaching of the gospel of salvation has begun to be heard from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the previous chapter, we hear Jesus saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was saying that in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom everywhere he went. And in chapter 4, before our chapter, we're also told that he tended to physical needs as well. People brought crowds to be healed. So Jesus was doing three things, one, two, three things, and there's a model there for the Church of Christ today. He was teaching those who already believed or who were on their way to belief. 
He was proclaiming the gospel to those who did not know what it was about. And he was healing those who were sick. And in that passage, it refers to the fact that he healed all diseases. So we have a wonderful picture of what the glory will be like in the future. There will not only be no tears, but there will be no illness. And some of us really need to hear that, don't we? No illness. 300,000 or so people in Galilee were beginning to hear the message of life. The final proof that the messianic kingdom had come was what we were hearing from this church, from this pulpit, Ambo, last Sunday, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The word, as we were told, which was the word the world needs now too. So this outpouring was the end of what we're beginning to look at today. So where is Jesus? He's on a mountain. Moses, in our passage from the Old Testament, he was on a mountain. And do go back to look at that passage again. You've got it on your order of service. There's a wonderful description of what the people of God are like. This kingdom, this priesthood, what we're like, what the Church of Christ is supposed to be like, what we actually are like when we don't feel it and don't show it. God speaks on mountains. We know that. Moses, um, you remember poor old Elijah, he met God on the mountain eventually after the storm and the fire and so on. But Jesus is on a mountain and he's sitting down. I'm, I was looking around. I don't think we have a professor here today, but there are one or two knocking about in this congregation. Uh, and even now in our time, when uh, a senior academic is um, given a position of authority for teaching and research and so on, he is given a chair because it's the sign of authority in teaching. So Jesus is sitting down and certainly at this stage these eight disciples are the main audience. You'll hear from other preachers from this place over the next few weeks how that picture might change but at least the disciples are there and they're hearing. And this word blessed it's a challenge isn't it? These are familiar verses that probably if we're honest most of us wrestle with. I hope you'll wrestle with them less after this morning. This word blessed, um, Psalm 1, verse 1, the easiest psalm to find, begins, blessed in the NIV, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his Lord day and night. So you get the picture of excitement there. That's what I'm trying to begin with for you. It, we think of blessing in a number of ways, but can you get the excitement today? Um, the NRSV says happy. I think that's a bit flat. You know, you can be 
happy, you've had a nice ice cream. It's not a really big deal. But this is a big deal. N.T. Wright says, what we should say is, wonderful news. Think about it. Wonderful news. It's serious, but it's also exciting. Jesus isn't saying, bring me people like this and I'll bless them. It's helpful to be mournful because I like to bless mournful people. Not at all. This is good news for the world. So we've got eight sayings in chapter 5. And the world admires most of the things that aren't there. Did you pick that up as you were listening? Thinking about what is to be blessed, what is wonderful news, what is a good thing? The world likes self-made, self-reliant, resilient people. That's not bad to be those things. But Jesus is saying, look, people of that kind um, don't look like kingdom people. We want to look like kingdom people, don't we? Because we are kingdom people. And that's who we're supposed to be. We want other people out there to look at us and say, they're kingdom people, they're Christian people, they're different people because of Christ. Jesus says, look, the person who says religion's not for me, uh, I don't need to believe in Jesus, I don't need a prop, you know, thanks, I'm fine. They're not hearing, they're not seeing, and there's no blessing for them. Knowing your need draws you to Christ. And if you're drawn to Christ, you will be drawn into the kingdom. However successful you are in life, however positively the world judges you, it's this that's the wonderful news for you day after day. This. To know that you are poor in spirit. Knowing that the one thing you need is God. The one thing you need is God. And knowing that to be drawn into his kingdom by grace. That's the kickoff wonderful news. There are eight characteristics and qualities and ways of behaving here. And these are amazingly different. This is the way to live if you're a kingdom person. In his kingdom now, as we are, but also in the future, as I hope we all long to be and can't wait for, however nice your life is now. That's what new covenant people look like. Jesus is saying, look at this, whatever your circumstances... It's wonderful to be a person who knows what's missing, who knows they're spiritually in poverty. God will work with that and draw you to himself. What more fantastic possession can there be than that? Than having a treasured place in the kingdom of God. And that's the gift to to those who know they are poor in God's eyes that without him they have nothing. Knowing that they must have confidence only in God. And then he gives them untold riches. So that's got to be wonderful news. 
Are you beginning to get what I'm trying to share with you here? Jesus is not saying it's great to be a mourner. These are the kind of people I'll bless. Those who have these characteristics and qualities. He's not speaking there about mourning of a loved one. Of course he's not. He's saying, look, when you know the one thing you need is God, what will you then realize about yourself? What is it that is wrong that you haven't got God? How is it that you're poor spiritually? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it's like being a person who is grieving into repentance. Godly grief that leads first to repentance and on to salvation. And in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So the mourning is the realization of our fallen sinfulness and of the world's suffering. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's looking out on the, the world and saying, This is terrible without God. Jesus says, I have wonderful news for people like that. People who know they need God and who grieve over their own sin and the sin of the world. And what I have for them is forgiveness and healing and salvation. And the salvation that's in the present and in the future. Those are the equalities of the eternal kingdom citizen. That's what Jesus is wanting people to get. Listen to me, he's saying. This is different. This is God's kingdom. Any kind of Christian living is only possible in the power of the Spirit. That's the link for us. That's why it's actually great that we're starting this series today, having had Pentecost last week. Because we know, those of us who are Christians, have received the Spirit that the disciples didn't have when they were hearing this. Jesus is not setting impossible ethical standards that you can't begin to reach. He's saying, look, know my Father. Come to my Father through me. Love me. Accept my forgiveness. Repent of your sin. Enter into the glory of being a citizen of the eternal kingdom now and in eternity. And you'll see what I mean. It's not like you think it is. Kingdom people look like this. Verse 5, the meek. The meek comes after qualities of knowing our spiritual need and our sinfulness. Conditions that we first bring to God. Meekness is both about God, but also about how we are with each other, with those around us. And you get nowhere in the world if you're meek, do you? That is not a compliment. A realistic knowledge of ourselves and being willing to show it before God and with others. Not 
cowardly, weak meekness that we might come across in literature or in, or in life, perhaps, but something quite different. The great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, puts it like this, the person who is truly meek is truly amazed that God and other people can treat him or her and think of them as well as they do. People with that kind of sensitive and humble meekness, Jesus says, will inherit the earth. They are the people who will inherit the earth. Not the person with the most tanks or the most money or the biggest land grab or whatever it might be. It seems impossible. But of course we know, don't we, that a new heavens and a new earth are coming. That's where we're going to be. That's where you and I are going to spend eternity. And I hope you all visit me and I'll visit you and we'll enjoy that in the new earth and the new heavens. And people who are humble and sensitive to the needs of others and acknowledge their need of God are the people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm going to give them the earth. Not because they deserve it. It's the gift of grace like everything else. Number four, righteousness. Verse six. Now there's a great Bible word. Should have a whole sermon on that, whole sermon series on that, frankly. We know it means getting right with God. We know it means being justified into a right relationship with him. But in scripture, it will also mean that our thoughts and actions are righteous. Therefore, our whole lives are righteous. People in the world struggle to see why that should be true. God says, citizens of my kingdom are through and through righteous. I will make a new heart. I will change their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. They will be my people and I will be their God, a priestly people and a royal kingdom. The need for righteousness in the world is always very present, isn't it? And our job is to be through and through righteous so that, and I'm jumping ahead to another week, we can be salt and light in the world because of that. In the Bible we have, look how the Christians love each other as a mark of the early church. Isn't the best compliment you could be paid by someone to say, I thought you were a Christian, because they have a picture of what Christians are like and they like it and they've seen what you're like and they like you because you're like Christ not because you're like your dad or your mum or your grandpa or your uncle but because you're like the Lord Jesus Christ 
And hungering for this righteousness is a constant thing, like all hungers. It's satisfied and then you need it again. And we go on and on and on, hungering for this righteousness until we live in glory in that new earth and the new heavens when we won't need to hunger anymore because we will never be hungry again. Number five, uh, there's a theme in the New Testament of the need for mercy, isn't there? We'll go as fast as we can. The 11 o'clock will have to wait a bit if we run over. Mercy, forgiveness does not come unless we can forgive. The way of defining mercy. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. We'll be saying it in the Lord's Prayer today. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And who taught us to pray like that? The Lord Jesus Christ himself, the same Lord Jesus Christ who taught his disciples this. So we don't earn God's mercy by being merciful. But if we are not merciful to others, and all of us have had times in life when the only way forward was for us to give mercy to others, if we're not merciful to others, how does that make us look as kingdom people? How can we say we're kingdom people if we're not evidencing God's own character? A strong characteristic of God is mercy. Thank the Lord it is, for without that none of us could be here. If there was no mercy, this wouldn't be happening. The pure in heart will see God. You will know that the consistent reference in the Lord's teaching to the need for inward purity is quite a theme. Cleanness in our motivations. And he takes us, as you know, from the law of the past to saying, yes, what you think counts as well. And I know what you're thinking. It's not just what you do, it's also who you are. The pure in heart. The need for inward purity, for cleanness in our motivations, in our thoughts, in our relationships. What we look at, what we read, what we think about, where we go, how we behave. In the Old Testament, David in the Psalms prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. To see God now by faith and in his glory in the life to come, Jesus says our hearts must be pure and that's what kingdom people look like. Making peace. Uh, the same word, actually, that Paul uses when he writes of God reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. Making peace. Reconciling all things to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant we were talking about at Easter and we have talked about at other times too. 
the inauguration of the new covenant, covenant which we see as Christ is on the cross, comes down from the cross and rises from the grave, nothing is the same. Absolutely nothing. That's why we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. Because things have changed. And here we have the beginning of Jesus teaching to the disciples, saying, things are really going to change, guys. And he begins to teach them that the Spirit will come. And he also tells them that when I've gone, you'll get it. All these things will fall into place. You'll understand what I meant. The things you scratched your head about and said, I don't get it. Like dear old Thomas, how can we come with you or be with you when we don't know where you're going or how to get there? Making peace. The same word Paul uses of making peace with God. So, a huge task, but absolutely necessary. One inside the church, one outside in the world, making peace. Kingdom people are peacemakers. Then verses 10 to 12, if you now read those, it kind of takes you back a bit, because if you were listening to the first seven, you'd think, well, okay, right, right, this is, this is great. Wow, it's turning the world upside down. This is counterculture to the power of a thousand. Thank goodness we've got Jesus with us to help us. And then he says, of course, that's what kingdom people look like. That's who you are. That's how you're going to be living. You're going to begin to live in a way that in eternity will be second nature to you. Second nature, that's interesting. First nature in eternity, second nature. He says, this is what you do. And he says, oh, by the way, it's going to be rough. Thanks. Uh, that's not deeply encouraging at this point. Some will welcome you. Some will not. A characteristic of the kingdom, people, says Jesus, is this. Trouble, challenge, opposition, difficulty, condemnation. Be my children in my church and in my world, and this is what it will look like for you. You will be persecuted. However that looks for you in your life, or a nation, or a family, you will be persecuted. And this too is a beatitude. This too is wonderful news. Wonderful news. How can this be good news? What a way to end, Godfrey. Thanks very much. Well, it's the way Jesus ends. Whatever you do, there will be opposition. But in the face of it, rejoice and be glad, says Jesus. Not because it's nice. It's not nice. Not because... By it, you earn spiritual points with God. There are no spiritual points to earn with God. Everything comes from him by grace. 
you won't earn any points. But, says Jesus, because it is all happening on my account. You are glorifying the Father in your lives. In the good patches and in the bumpy patches. In the patches when you're standing up and feeling fine. And the patches when you're knocked down and not feeling fine at all. And in the words of the Bible translator J.B. Phillips, you're knocked down, but you're not knocked out. In the name of the Lord Jesus, live your life a privilege as a kingdom person, as a member of the kingdom, as kingdom people. Rejoice in the wonderful news. Rejoice that those who are not for God will not like the fact that you are. Rejoice and be glad. What a challenge. Well, we have some great weeks together to come uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Today we've started with a wonderful picture of a God who has come, who has sat down, who with authority is saying, my sisters, my brothers, this is what kingdom people look like. There is a new covenant and this is how you live it out. And I'm going to be with you for three years or so to begin to get you ready for that. A wonderful picture of a Christ who calls us to believe in him. Reflect on that as you read the three chapters of Matthew each week. Amen.